Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, January the 28th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we have one prerogative and one prerogative only. Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and the Fin It to Win It podcast joins me to talk all things Miami Dolphins 2020 NFL Draft. So real quick to the housekeeping, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL Voted. The number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. You can follow the show at Locked On Fins. We'll follow you back. And of course, LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily Dolphins content up on the blog site. I have so much content planned for this podcast. And just real quick before we get to my interview with Kyle Krabs, the Dolphins did announce a new defensive backs coach who will be the actual coach of the room. As recently hired former high school coach Kirk Kuntz will be the assistant defensive backs coach, but leading the room will be former Cal defensive backs coach Gerald Alexander. He played five years in the NFL, including a brief cup of coffee with the Miami Dolphins. He then went on to be a GA at Arkansas State and Washington. He interned for the Titans and Buccaneers, coached defensive backs at Indiana State and Montana State, and he was the Cal DB coach for the last three years. And that excellent, excellent Golden Bears defense led by a very good secondary, which allowed just 174 passing yards per game just two years ago, spearheaded by Cal safety and draft standout. Ashton Davis, maybe we see an easy trap from Davis going to Miami in this year's draft. And if you don't know him by now, what are you even doing with your life? He is the senior draft analyst at the Draft Network, the host of the Fin It to Win It podcast, lifelong Dolphins fan, the Whiskey Wanderer, Mr. At Grinding the Tape on Twitter himself. Kyle, what's up, dude? Travis, it's it's nice to be here. Look forward to talking with a fellow Dolphins fan when I do draft dudes, I have to talk to a Bills fan every day. So to get to talk to a Dolphins fan is give you a nice change of pace. Well, Joe's good company. I love talking to him during the crossover portion of our in-season battles. This year, not so much fun, but we've been looking forward to this time of year all year, Kyle, because the season was so challenging and you just got yeah. back from Mobile. And let's go ahead and just start with the quarterbacks down there this week because we know this is probably the most important draft for Miami from a team standpoint, but also the quarterback position. And let's start with the headliner and potential fit with Miami Kyle, I'm not a big Justin Herbert fan, but you and I have discussed how we could see Miami making it work with him in tow. Can you elaborate on that for the listeners? Sure. Uh, I think if you're looking from a physical skill set, Justin Herbert's a very exciting player as far as uh, prototypical size, good athleticism. He's got a really, really nice arm. He flashes some nice uh, off-platform throws, but he doesn't seem to have that intrinsic feel for the game. At least you saw some struggles there. You see the Auburn game. Uh, the Utah game was another example of that as well. And, and he outdueled Jacob Eason in the Washington game. But really, Eason was the better quarterback if you look into the film because Justin was throwing a lot of quick game. Herbert is a guy who coming into this week, there was some feedback that they, th- they were worried about his demeanor and that he might be a little too quiet. 
And Miami, seeing what Ryan Fitzpatrick did for that team, you understand how that was so important because you have to be the glue for the offense because Fitzpatrick served in that that capacity, and we saw wonderful results from it. I thought Herbert did a nice job this week. Uh, I thought he was consistent all three days. I appreciated seeing him running down the field and and you know chest bumping receivers after big catches down the field and slapping guys on the helmet and stuff. So uh, it alleviated a little bit of, of the narrative that's around Justin in that capacity. But for me, the bigger issue is more specifically, how well does he feel pressure and beat pressure, which you're not going to get an answer to that at the senior bowl without live bullets. And that's the on-tape stuff that you see in those games, like you mentioned, that you can't get in a practice situation with the red shirts on because Herbert, for his whole career, was a guy that maybe came up small in big moments or fell, you know, kind of became victim to pressure, succumbed to pressure. And I always wonder why the Oregon offense didn't put more on his plate because like Daniel Jeremiah, for instance, he just continuously says, this guy needs to let the ball rip, let it fly because he's too conservative. And you mentioned that Washington game with Jacob Eason. I watched that game and they screened and ran the ball Mm -hmm. down the field to pick up the win at the end of the game. So why is he the one that's being discounted as maybe the, the trailer, so to speak, being carried by the truck on that offense. And also just to kind of continue the point you made about Ryan Fitzpatrick's demeanor, look at Josh Rosen for the perfect juxtaposition of that. A guy who I have been told is kind of a satellite in that locker room. Doesn't really, really doesn't really have that gravitational pull to the rest of the guys in the locker room. So Herbert, plenty of questions. What about the rest of this class down there in Mobile, Kyle? Jalen Hurts, we know about Shea Patterson and Steven Montez and Anthony Gordon, but you had Jalen Hurts and Jordan Love as well. How did you come away from this week watching those guys play? Yeah, I, I was fairly confident in saying Justin Herbert was the best one. Jordan Love was the second best. I think Jordan Love is an interesting blend of skills because he's a little bit more fluid and natural as an athlete, and, and he thrives off of structure versus Justin, who wins more within structure. And uh, he, he's also got a very nice arm. Both of their balls really cut through the wind effectively and, and had great velocity and zip and show good touch. Jordan's issues, uh, he had some accuracy issues on Tuesday, but you really don't want to bang a guy for that in an all-star event because he's never thrown to these guys before. The timing's not there. The fact that he pieced together better performances in in successive practices is where you really, uh, you like the performance that he was able to provide. Jordan Love is an interesting player. I'm in on his skill set because I think not to... I don't want to compare him to Josh Allen, but if you think about what Josh Allen's strengths and weaknesses were coming out of Wyoming, and you look at what the Buffalo Bills have done with him, which with Brian Dable there as their offensive coordinator, they, they've implemented a lot of quick passing inside of 10 yards of the line of scrimmage to help mitigate his issues with holding the ball within the pocket. Well, with Jordan Love, if you implement a lot of those same things, which is a very realistic outcome of introducing Chan Gailey as your offensive coordinator. You're mitigating those plays where he locks in on that first read and he double hitches into his throw and it's not there. And well, shoot, I'm going to decide to throw it anyway, because it's a lot more quick hitting style. Uh, And then when you have to get off structure, then he can get outside the pocket and make big plays happen down the field. Uh, Jalen Hurts was disappointing to me. I didn't think he was consistent with his timing with his ability to process in seven on sevens and team drills and his accuracy. So those three things really knocked him down a couple pegs versus those other two guys. 
And you mentioned the use of Chan Gailey in the offense. And I think one of the quarterbacks we've all been talking about for this Dolphins team for more than a year now is Tua Tungavailoa and mm-hmm. the quick set offense that he played in in Alabama and throwing those slants. But also you go back a couple years ago and it was way more vertical shots and deep intermediate shots as well. So he's been well-versed in a variety of offenses. Let's go ahead and talk about Tua, Kyle. I'd be remiss to not get a, an opinion from you on the podcast here, even though we're kind of going back towards senior bowl stuff here. But just kind of give us your fly-by scouting perspective on Tua, what he would mean to the Dolphins, and just how much you believe in him as a prospect with or without the hip injury. Yeah, uh, you think about leadership, demeanor, intangibles off the field, and then on the field he's deadly accurate. He's got super quick feet. Uh, He's comfortable in chaos within the pocket to slide. He's really anticipatory as far as anticipating and feeling pass rush and where it is, and also anticipatory with making spot throws against tight uh, tight holes in zone coverage or uh, being able to put back shoulder balls. You go back, watch the LSU game, one of the most impressive throws I've seen this season. Uh, how many quarterbacks in college football that played LSU this year tried to go back shoulder on Derek Stingley, the LSU freshman corner, and Stingley, incredible ball skills and, and instincts, and he gets his eyes back, and he identifies it just as quickly as the receiver, and that ball comes in on a flat line, and Stingley picks it off. It happened against Georgia. Uh, it happened that J- Jordan Love got popped trying to go vertical on Derek Stingley as well earlier in the season. Tua put this ball high. He dropped it in over the top so that when Stingley flipped his eyes back inside, there's no ball there because it's coming from a higher angle. And I believe it was Devonta Smith was able to elevate over top of him and make a play. And this this was a ball that traveled like 45 yards in the air. So there, there's just this advanced understanding of who am I throwing at? What do I need to do? What angle does the ball need to come in? Uh, he had a, a pass that fell incomplete against Tennessee down inside the red zone in which uh, he kind of double clutched and then dropped his arm slot and threw around a free runner coming out in the pocket and, and threw it well away from a leverage defender and forced his tight end to, to kind of adjust his body to challenge the ball. Little things like that are what Tua does so well. And then obviously the off the field and, and the personality that he is and, and anybody that you talk to about Tua, they're, they're going to tell you he's got this magnetic personality. So I think thinking about what Brian Flores and the Dolphins had success with, with, with uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick and what they're looking for in their ideal player Tua checks a lot of those boxes. And he's not going to be the guy that really blows you away athletically. Like, if he did compete at the Combine, I wouldn't expect great testing numbers. But he does have that inherent sense for, you know, game situations and the instincts to make plays when things break down around him. And I think that's an absolute must for today's quarterbacks in today's league. And Kyle, before our first break here, gun to your head. In three months from now, is Tua Tungavailoa a Miami Dolphin? I think there's enough smoke here to call it a fire. Yes, I think if the hip comes back healthy, he's the guy. Perfect. That's that's what we wanted to hear on the podcast here. We'll come back on the other side here and talk about more prospects with Kyle Krabs of the Draft Network and the Fan to Win It podcast. And in case that last bit didn't get you guys pumped up, I got to tell you about BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, kickoff, draft night, first day of training camp, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, 
no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it for free today. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Segment number two here on the Monday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, January the 28th. I am joined by the Draft Network's own Kyle Krabs. And Kyle, you grade hundreds of prospects every year, but what grade would you give that blue chew read? I think you aced it. You're going <laughs> to give it, give it a, a, it's a blue chip quality oh, ad. Oh, you did it. You used a pun. That's that's the go-to on this podcast here. I love it. Well, I appreciate that. And let's go ahead and get back into the conversation. You and I spoke a little bit off-air about Chan Gailey and the way this coaching staff is being devised with a mixture of old vets and new up-and-comers in the college or the coaching ranks, I should say, from college backgrounds, NFL backgrounds, even the high school ranks. Brian Flores is finding coaches that he believes in. So how confident are you in Chan Gailey? And also, since we talked about Tua in the previous segment, how confident are you in Chan Gailey devising an offense for Tua and being the guy that really gets him to take the next step in his professional career? Yeah, well, I think about Tua and and you had referenced the exposure that he had in 2018 in the Mike Loxley vertical style passing game and then what they did this year and in bringing in much more West Coast concepts with Steve Sarkeesian and and two has had the opportunity to master multiple offensive schemes and concepts at Alabama so I'm not worried about his mental capacity to operate within a high level uh, regardless of what you're going to ask him to do I do think with Chang Gailey it's important that uh, the the Dolphins take very seriously, and I believe it was uh, Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald just recently uh, made a note that the Dolphins were looking at potentially up to four new starters on the offensive line, uh, bringing them in this offseason, and I think that's very important for the Dolphins to do, not just for Tua and his health, but the overall performance of the offense. Chan Gailey, Ryan Fitzpatrick had some of his best years of his career in the Jets with Chan Gailey, but you look at the rest of that roster, and they had like washed up Eric Decker, washed up Brandon Marshall. Uh, they had bad offensive linemen all around. So Miami just needs the talent. And I really feel like the decisions that Brian Flores is making with his staff is being conducted so that everyone's on the same page and has the same vision. And if you do that, then it just comes down to the players buying in and executing. You know, it's it's Miami has struggled so much with a lot of those simple, basic things because for the last decade, there's been a lot of uh, in-house fighting amongst power figures in the Dolphins organization, and it has led to some chaotic seasons and a lot of counterproductive energy being spent. Uh, trying to prove you're not the problem instead of working together to become the solution. So I, I think the it's so cliche to say, but I really feel like fit, chemistry, communication, locker room culture, those are the things that are going to make this work because if everybody believes into the same vision, we've seen what the players can can do when they buy in with Brian Flores. 
Travis Wingfield, Kyle Krabs from the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. One thing you mentioned there, Kyle, was the coaching staff being on the same page and having a singular vision. And that was one of the things that Brian Flores really, really harped on last year when he had those first introductory press conferences or spoke to the media at the combine or the draft, whatever it was, he was always aligned in that vision with he and not just the coaching staff, but he and Chris Greer, who I happen to know is also aligned with Stephen Ross. And everybody in that organization is on on one linear path right now and that's fun to see I think it's exciting for Dolphins fans to finally have that after you mentioned the years of dysfunction and Kyle I know you were down in Mobile so you didn't get a chance to see this but my goodness Mike Tannenbaum's commentary on these draft prospects I, it just makes me like it makes so much sense why this team was so bad for so long but let's not harp on the past you also mentioned the Barry Jackson article about four offensive linemen which is music to every Dolphins fan's ears after watching yes. Ryan Tannehill play behind those offensive lines he had and and last year's line which was probably historically the worst in the history of the league so what are some of the guys that really caught your eye down in Mobile along the offensive line and are there specific scheme fits we should be watching for since this coaching staff is so new and kind of put together with different parts or different thoughts in mind yeah I really was impressed with LSU center Lloyd Cushenberry this week Uh, he checked in at the Wayans with 34 inch arms which is like unusually long for a center and you watch him and his his feet are really smooth he's got a wide base he anchors well uh he was the only guy that could create stalemates with javon kinlaw kinlaw's wreaking havoc on everybody down here and cushionberry comes up in the 101s and kinlaw lands the hands and and cushionberry gives him a yard and a half and then drops his hips and anchors him uh, against one of the most explosive guys that that's down here regardless of position so Cushenberry is a guy who I think for Miami would really be a nice fit because he knows how to steer you. His feet are fluid enough that he's able to take you whatever direction your momentum is carrying you. And then with the length that he has, he turns you out. Uh, I was impressed with Matt Hennessy, the Temple center, but he's a little bit of a different player. He's a little bit more of a traditional zone blocking style center uh, doesn't have the same heavy anchor that Lloyd Cushenberry does. Uh, ben Barch from St. John's, I think, is going to be a really good football player. Once you get the chance to throw a little bit of extra weight on him, he's coming from D3. The last time we saw a D3 offensive lineman come through here was Ali Marpet, who's going on to get like 12 plus million dollars per year from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers playing guard. Uh, Barch was technically very polished, very sound, just needs to add a little bit more mass onto his frame. I think from a developmental standpoint with the amount of volume the Dolphins have in picks, if you get somewhere into the middle of day two, end of day two, and Barch is still there on the board, I would love that because you can mold him you know, from a, a hand placement, framing his pass blocks, actual foot speed, it's all there. It's all really, really exciting. And he, he just kind of got pulled off his set a couple of times. Uh, that's th- Those were the guys from an offensive line perspective here in Mobile that stood out to me the most as far as players that I think make the most sense. Uh, if Miami wants to be a little bit more inside zone oriented, then Cushenberry, I think, is a better player than Hennessy is. Uh, if you want to be high passing volume, outside and wide zone, then in that case, you'd probably lean toward, towards Hennessy. 
And one thing I really appreciate about the Draft Network is how quickly you guys update your big boards and just have information constantly flowing into the website. And last night I was playing around so many mock drafts. And one of the reasons I do that is not to see the best draft I can possibly get, but to try to get a feel for where the, the true value in the draft class lies. And I put a tweet out on Friday morning about how I think that the, the true depth of this class comes from edge, receiver, and running back in terms of what Miami wants at those positions. But the offensive line, I think you probably have to go more top heavy because I think the tackle class is very good up top. And then it kind of falls off from there. Maybe the same is true of the guard position and center. And then you also have the safety position to me is the same way and defensive back in general. Would you agree that the safe defensive backs and offensive line, maybe you go after early because that's where the value is and you can still get some quality edge presences like maybe a Bradley Anai or maybe a Jason Strobridge later on in the draft? I think the edge class is interesting. I would agree with you that the safety class is pretty top heavy. I think you're going to have three or four guys that have the potential to go in the first two rounds between Grant Delpit, Xavier McKinney, Ashton Davis from Cal probably is a top 50. Uh, t- definitely second round, I think, is is a pretty fair floor for his draft status. And then Antoine Winfield is a redshirt sophomore, I think has the chance to really make a push here. I think those four guys are comfortably the best safeties in the group. Um the offensive line class, I think there's great elite blue chip talents at the top of the tackle class, and there's probably somewhere between seven or eight guys that you could use as plug-and-play starters. The interior, a lot of centers. Lloyd Cushenberry, Cesar Ruiz from Michigan, Matt Hennessy from Temple, Nick Harris from Washington, who had an absolutely brutal week this week. Uh, I tu- tuned in two weeks ago to watch Tyler Beattis' tape from Wisconsin and was shocked. He looked like a shell of himself. Uh, I, I know uh, he was given a comeback to school grade because he had a hip injury and underwent a hip procedure last year. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not, but he could not stay on blocks at all this year. He looked more lethargic. He's listed at 6'3", 321. So uh, I don't consider him in this upper tier or even this second tier of interior offensive lineman because I don't know. I, I don't know what his status is, but he had the procedure and he had the chance to help uh, to heal from it and did not look to be a strong player. I think the guard class particular is weak. I think you've got guys like Robert Hunt from Louisiana, Nitain Mutai from Fresno State, uh, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, if you're looking for an in-close brawler with super heavy hands, Shane Lemieux from Oregon. But like those guys aren't going to be guys that are going to be called in the top 50, top 64 picks for the most part. So I think Miami, if you're looking for a position that they need to address in free agency and skip altogether – it's probably going to be the offensive guard position. Get yourself a young anchor in the middle, and then you can transition from there and look to address the offensive tackle spots. Yeah, Joe Tooney just makes so so much sense for this yes. team at left guard, especially when you consider you might have a rookie left tackle and rookie center. Who better to put in that spot than a guy that's out there every single play? He knows all the pass protection assignments and how to get guys lined up correctly. That, to me, is a day one no-brainer signing for the Dolphins. It's funny you mentioned the hip issue with Tyler Bayadash uh, or Biadish because... <laughs> we're talking about a quarterback who has the most popular hip in the history of hips. So yeah. it's interesting because I see a lot of Dolphins fans advocating for Biotish with the hip issue. You think he's more of a day two or maybe even day three pick at this point? I, I think he's a day three that's, pick at this point. That's just crazy. He's probably going to get flagged for medicals uh, because of the hip issue itself. Uh, I know that was a key part of their go back to school evaluation that they gave him. And if he would have came out last year, he would have had a red flag medical and first round tape at a, 
know, tempered or watered down positional value position. Maybe he goes in the top 64 or, or top 75. Now he's coming out and he's got day three tape and he's going to have the red flag anyway. So it, it's pretty surprising and un, unforeseen that his stock is going to fall off this far. But I watched six ta- six game tapes this year and, and Beatus is just he really looked like he was missing his juice. I would say this, though, as as far as the hip with the quarterback position, at least. Um, the good news, if it's a quarterback for uh, with a hip injury, is it feels like it has less restrictions than if you're a back and you got to cut frequently at high angles in the lower half or if you've got to unload your hips and drive another man off the line of scrimmage. So, like, if you were going to be a player – that was going to have a hip issue, I would think quarterback would be pretty right. high up on the list of places <laughs> that you would be able to get to get by. I, I completely agree. And we go back to Albert Wilson's injury back in 2018. Mm-hmm. I spoke to a Dolphins golfer who told me that Wilson wasn't even wasn't back towards the end of the season this year. So it would take a while, but eventually you can see you can see that juice back. And like you mentioned, the less you know, the less poppy poppy has to pips, the better. And I want to clarify, clarify. I'm not calling you crazy for the buy for the buy dash take and turn third day pick, but he's a guy, he's a guy of course, of course of the season. Every single, every single thing right there next to Creed Humphrey. So that fall is definitely noticeable. We're going to talk more about some defensive scheme fits on the other side. Some player players that Kyle likes outside the senior bowl. Who's going to have him celebrating if they get called by the Miami Dolphins? Who's going to have him chugging whiskey? All that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Cast at NFL, at Locked On, Locked On and, Kyle, and Kyle is finding the right. Going a little bit long on this Monday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. The first Sunday without football in four or five months. It's been brutal this week, Kyle, having no football to watch outside of Senior Bowl, but we press on. The Senior Bowl's here next week in just a couple of months. The draft will be here. We'll have a free agency class to look at. Exciting times ahead for your Miami Dolphins football team. And let's go ahead and go back to that defensive side of the ball. And this one, I think, is a little more clear to us as Dolphins fans and Dolphins journalists or guys that cover the team. I should say, is that we know what the defensive makeup looks like under Brian Flores and Josh Boyer. We know there's going to be a lot of defensive backs on the field. We know they're going to use outside edge rushers as linebackers. They're going to play bigger, beefier guys on the front and not really put a priority on the true elite speed pass rushers in the game. So with all that in mind, who are some of the defensive scheme fits that were down there in Mobile that really caught your eye for this defense specifically? I think Terrell I think Terrell Lewis from Alabama is one that stands out as long arms, really impressive build. He's powerful with his hands in his ability to collapse the edge. Another edge rusher that stood out to me was Jonathan Greenard from Florida. He's a transfer from Louisville and boy, he was impressive from the way ins on. He looked apart, explosive. He's really thick built. You know, you're comfortable putting him into trash and, and comfortable with his ability to anchor and, and hold the line of scrimmage. Uh, you had mentioned Bradley and I was a little disappointed that he came in. He checked in uh, with short arms. I believe his arm length came in under 32 inches, which for some people may not seem like a big deal, but but it's all about separation and being able to strike those hands first and uh, get off get off your chest and be able to, to continue to press upfield. Uh, Zach Bond is another name that's down here. Is an edge hybrid who can play some off ball, and he's super smart, and he really flashed in the inside run stuff for them. Uh He's a player who I think Brian Flores would really enjoy coaching because he's multiple. He's smart. Obviously, they've got a little Wisconsin pipeline thing going on here with Vince Beagle and uh, 
and Andrew Van Ginkle. So Zach Bowen is, I think, a, a Swiss Army name name to watch. And I'll just throw one more out there because I'm really into the front seven and, and trying to fix this defense. Josh Uche from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, it felt like there were three of him on the field because <laughs> he was like doing every drill and winning at every drill. It was really impressive to see him in the one-on-ones. Uh, he's shorter. He's only 6'1". Uh, 241 pounds, but he came in with like 33 and a half inch arms. So he's got some extension skills and he's out there covering tight ends in one-on-one and uh, he's got some really nice bend off the edge as a pass rusher. So I think he's going to be a guy that's a better pro than he was a college player at Michigan. And uh, there's definitely going to be no shortage of edge guys for Miami to have their pick of here. And you mentioned the height there. I saw one rep of him going underneath a left tackle who I think was like a 6'6 guy who had no chance because of how low Uche was able to get. You pair that with the good coverage skills. He is the exact type of player you want in this defense. And then you compound that with the fact that Miami are linked to Michigan's linebacker coach, Anthony Campanelli. It all adds up for him to be the guy they take somewhere on day two, maybe day three if they get lucky. I don't want to restrict this just to the senior bowl, Kyle, because you've obviously done work on all the underclassmen as well. So I want to get your thoughts on who are some players in general they can be senior bowl or otherwise that if they are picked by Miami you're going to be out in the street doing cartwheels I would be thrilled to get Caleb on chase on out of LSU this has quickly become that's your boy one of one of my guys uh he has he you think about what Miami uh, was willing to do as far as personnel changes in transactions in August when they were flirting with the Texans for Jadavion Clowney uh, Clowney's listed on the Seahawks roster, 255 pounds. Chason's 6'4", 250. Wins in a lot of similar ways as far as interior stunts coming crashing and slashing through gaps. He's really stout off the edge. Now, he's not going to be like Clowney and play with his hand in the dirt and play in the B gap, but you can play him as a stand-up on the outside, and he's really stout to set the edge and turn runs back inside. Uh, his penetration skills and flexibility for a guy of his stature are just really, really stunning. If I was going to like stake my flag in the ground and, and, and die on a hill for a player for the Dolphins draft, it would be Chase on. If one of the four big tackles falls to 18, and by that I mean Andrew Thomas, Makai Becton, uh, Tristan Wirfs, and Jedrick Wills, who is the one you want the most out of that group? And is there anybody in that group you would not want? Yeah, I want Makai Becton. Yep. I think Makai is... He's so fun. Now, Jedrick, don't give me, I think Jedrick Wills is the best offensive tackle in the class. And if Jedrick Wills is there and Makai Becton's there and they take Jedrick Wills, I'm still doing cartwheels down the street. But Makai Becton, as far as the, the athleticism for his stature is pretty rare. And we, we were told a funny story down here in Mobile from one of our other scouts, uh, Jordan Reed, uh, who, who was told this story from somebody at the, the Louisville program. He said they were playing Notre Dame, I think that was the season opener for them this past year. And uh, the first first quarter of the game goes by, and uh, Becton's playing okay. He's not playing great. And then he has one rep where he literally whitewashes Julian Aquara, who for some people is going to be a top 50 prospect in this year's draft. And it's, it, they said he came over to the sidelines, and he just kind of looked down at his hands like, what am I capable of if I do that? If I just do that, it's like Happy Gilmore when he hits the hole in one. He's like, "Wow, it's so much easier. I'll just do that every time." And from then on, he literally just destroyed Notre Dame the rest of the game, and he's carried it through. So it was like the light bulb came on, and I think Scott Satterfield, who was the the first year head coach there at Louisville, and his staff deserve a lot of credit for kind of helping Mackay trim down and, and slim up his body frame, and then to get have them have that light bulb come on. 
Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him as far as size, length, mobility. When you're that big, he's listed at 6'7", 369, and you can run backside cutoff on an outside run against a one technique that's two gaps inside of you. That's insane to me. And he's able to do I've seen him do it. So Makai Becton would be my pick for, for a tackle for Miami. Well, the other guys just shouldn't have been standing there. Easy solution for him. So what about some guys that might have you chugging some whiskey when it comes to your pick? If you guys haven't seen this dude drink whiskey, it's the most impressive thing I've ever seen. It's more impressive than Makai Becton playing in a phone booth and throwing guys around. Like, I don't know how you do it. I'm a whiskey connoisseur myself, but to throw it straight back like that, it's it's impressive. So who's going to have you doing that on draft night if Miami makes their name or calls their name, I should say? The key is to just always drink the cheap stuff. (laughs) Don't waste the people. I don't know. Why are you drinking Jack Daniels honey or whatever? And it's like, I'm not going to waste a good pour, you know, to throw it down. But if we're talking about guys that, that have me distressed as far as being realistic possibilities for Miami, especially early on on the first night, I think about Houston offensive tackle, Josh Jones, uh, who is, impressive in some capacities but I think from a technical standpoint I always get like real anxious when you're talking about drafting this early uh, an offensive tackle prospect who needs a lot of fundamental work and that's that's the impression that I get with Josh Josh Jones with the hand placement uh, the consistency with framing his blocks and and making sure his base stays sustained and doesn't break down and get narrow in which case he's going to spin off of stuff he's a redshirt senior you know he's been in college for five years and and uh, for him to not have those details down yet just makes me a little bit apprehensive. I think another need that makes sense as somebody to be apprehensive about is probably not necessarily a first. Some people think he may sneak into the first round, but Isaiah Wilson, the, the redshirt sophomore offensive tackle from Georgia who played right side opposite of Andrew Thomas. Wilson is like Andrew Thomas in that he's big, dense, thick. He's not overly fluid. He doesn't have great foot speed. Uh, um, but he's nowhere near the consistent run blocker and, and powerful hand blows because he hits you where he wants to hit you that you get with Andrew Thomas. So Andrew Thomas is a guy I'm not super sold on for Miami just because I think he's a little stiff and I'd, I'd like to get a little bit more mobility out of a left tackle. Wilson has all those same issues, but he's also raw. So if you're going to bet on the upside of guys like Josh Jones and Isaiah Wilson, please don't do it that early because it's you, you want to get – a product that you know exactly what you're going to get and has polish and is a pro ready player because it's the scarcity of starting quality offensive linemen in the NFL is so difficult. This is a great class to get some of that. Don't take project players in my opinion. So where does Austin Jackson come in on that spectrum for you? Because I thought that's where you were going to go with Isaiah Wilson. You mentioned Josh Jones is a redshirt senior. Austin mm-hmm. Jackson's 20 years old. Is he kind of in that same ballpark? I think so. I, I I'm a little bit more, accepting of him because I think his feet are really nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least Isaiah, Will- Isaiah Wilson's got like the heavy feet. Josh Jones um, is is pretty fluid. I think Jackson has better feet than Josh Jones does right now. So would I love that pick? No. And Jackson's got some hand placement stuff and the strike timing and, and hand variance as far as playing games with offensive tackles and making sure you know he, he's able to you know, get some variability but also be consistent with He's going to strike his blow, and he's going to off, offset your upfield push. That's where he needs to improve. So at least I don't feel like he's a total rework from the ground up. Where Josh Jones, I see some issues with the feet. I see some issues with the hand. Isaiah Wilson, I see restrictions with the feet. Uh, Jackson, I'd be okay with him, but I wouldn't love it. 
And I know in that in that Holiday Bowl, Epinesa really kind of teed off in the second half of that game when USC had to go to the pass. But I actually thought Austin Jackson had some pretty good reps in that game and some plays where it looked like, okay, this guy can handle some premier rushers at the next level. Kyle, I've got one more question for you. Is Christian Wilkins any good? Yes. Let's put this nonsense. <laughs> this is an inside joke right between now. the two of us, just in case you guys were going to panic there. Yeah, so just go ahead. <laughs> You've got me angry now. I'm triggered. <laughs> Don't read the box score. <laughs> For an offensive interior defensive lineman, please just watch the impact and listen. All, all Brian Flores' defenses especially, it's a team defense. It's, it's a complete unit effort. And no individual player, no matter how talented you are, is going to be able to transcend poor conditions around you and not having a well-rounded roster and a well-rounded defense to be able to attack the opposing offense it's just not going to happen. So the, the expectations that Christian Wilkins was going to come in here and get eight sacks year one as a rookie when he's got some of the guys that he's got playing next to I love Devon Godchild. Devon Godchild is not a penetration player either. Nope. You've got no heat off the edge. What do you expect? They're going to clog the middle, and they're going to allow the quarterback to step up into the pocket and then flush if he needs to outside the B-gaps. And, and that's where, that's like you mentioned, that's where a Zach Bond and Vince Beagle and all those boys that come off the edge would really have an impact for this Dolphins team. Kyle, that's going to be it for our time. We went a little bit long here, but I'm good with that. Um, we got to get some bourbon together sometime, man. You're going to yes. be in Vegas for the draft, right? Yes, that's correct. We're going to be doing a, we, we are still ironing out our finer details, but we are doing uh, three days of live shows in Vegas for the draft, for the draft network, which we're very, very excited about. Uh, man, I can't wait for that. And I'll be there with you. I've got some big news myself coming up here. Not going to put it out there in the, in the Twitter verse just yet, or the podcast verse just yet, but really excited to do that with you, Kyle. And thank you so much for doing the show with me, man. We got to do more of them. He is Kyle Krabs, the draft network, senior draft analyst. He is the fin to win it podcast host at grinding the tape on Twitter. Kyle, thanks a bunch, man. No, Travis, anytime. Thanks for having me, man. Always appreciate talking ball with you. Well, I think we can all agree that was probably the best podcast we've done on this show for a long, long time. Kyle is the absolute best. I cannot wait to work more with him in the future. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night, great rest of your week. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.